Hello, everybody, and welcome back. It's been a hot minute, and I'm pretty sure I started my last podcast saying that exact thing. I can't remember. It's been that long, and I know, I do know that I went on a big rant about how I haven't been able to upload lately because this isn't this, but I'm back now, and it's going to be weekly, and then I dropped off the planet of the Earth for a month, or maybe more. I don't know how long it's been. I should have checked, but I didn't. And I thank you for those... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that reached out and did welfare checks. <laughs> um, just kidding, it wasn't that serious, but thank you for those that messaged me. It was very sweet, but I'll just get straight into it. The reason why is, um, well, I am pregnant again, um, and it was rough to just get to the point. It was, I was just not feeling it. I was feeling sick. I was beyond exhausted um and yeah everything's looking up though now I am 15 weeks along um and feeling much better I am so tired though and because what happens is I usually do record the podcast while Remy is asleep in his midday nap and every single day without a doubt (laughs) until today I have fallen asleep with him Every single day I've gone to put him down, I keep falling asleep with him. So um, I wasn't able to record. And then by the time I was next available to record, which would be like 7.30 at night, once he goes down for bed, I was too tired. I was so tired. I kept going to bed really early. Like pregnancy fatigue is no joke. I hats off to those that um, work (laughs) through this. I don't remember being this tired when I was with Remy. It was it's just insane. Um, but I'm very happy. Um, it was an intentional pregnancy and I'm having a little girl. So that's very exciting. Um, also during that process as well, just when I got to the point where I was like, okay, I got to start recording. I got COVID for the first time ever. And oh my God, it was hell. It was just the worst two weeks ever. I still get like PTSD flashbacks of I just had the worst migraine for two weeks straight nonstop and I could not like just I could not function. It was terrible. So and it's so weird because Adrian had it. He gave it to me. Lovely. And um, he had it for like a day. Didn't even think he had it. He was sick. He was like, oh, I'm just a bit sore from work or something because his whole body was sore. He was like a bit sore feel like I could come down with something and then the next day was fine that was it and then meanwhile I was basically hit by a truck um so we've been through the ringer (laughs) uh but that's a bit dramatic everything's actually been fine I've just been a bit unwell a bit sick and it was also why in I early December I also was a bit off the podcast when I was so um sick with morning sickness so everything's come through good now I have returned with the second trimester bliss where you start glowing, etc. And yeah, anyway, there's been a lot that's been going on since I've been gone. Obviously, I've stayed on social media and I've been seeing what's trending and what's pop culture or what's been happening around the world. I've been hearing about aliens in Miami and. <laughs> um, all, all the devastating news coming from Gaza. It's just so sad. Um, if you don't know about that, please do your research. And 
Yeah, I was talking to Adrian about these things that come up on TikTok, which she obviously has no idea about. And it's funny how it sets such a trend, this platform for young people and is so influential in and, and great in terms of it's extremely informative and um, you can learn so many things and see so many people from different professions, etc., etc. But it is so toxic as well. And some of these trends that go around is devastating. Um, for example, there was one woman who started a trend. Well, a trend had started where basically it was people trying to normalize what faces look like without filter and that are aging. And one woman who was 28 year, years old, so she's a year or two younger than me, She's absolutely beautiful and she uploads a video saying my unfiltered face at 28 years old. And this woman is an attractive woman as well. She's like a beach babe kind of thing and like conventionally quite attractive. And she's zooming in on her face. She's showing her texture. She's showing some fine lines. And oh God, the poor woman, every single young person in the comments, this video went viral, millions of views, because all these young people were saying, oh my God, I am terrified to go get old. I'm so scared of this. I'm so scared of looking like this. And it's just so sad to see like that perpetual cycle that women in particular and girls in particular go through where we are forced to believe that aging is some horrific scary and ugly thing and that having fine lines or getting smile lines is the end of the world and I just felt like so bad everyone's calling her so old and saying oh my god that's so scary like I don't ever want to look like that god just insane anyway one of the other trends I've been seeing coming up with young people I don't know if you guys are around the same age as me but when I was in high school it was like Everyone was talking about the thigh gap and we would call it like legs 11. Like, you know, your legs look like the number 11, just two poles standing side by side. And it was an obsession. And every single girl I know when I was 14 years old was talking about if they had a thigh gap, if they didn't, all of our photos that we took were people trying to accentuate their thigh gap. Like when you, you try to make it look like you're standing up straight, but you've slightly pushed your hips out, like all these things and all the comments under the photos that we uploaded was like legs 11 or thigh gap or watch the gap kind of thing um and it was just so so toxic I never had a thigh gap I don't think and I remember being like oh my god I am doomed <laughs> my life is over I don't have a thigh gap um so it's it's really, it was a really sad time and I feel like we have done so much, especially millennial women, to change the beauty industry and beauty expectations and it's been great the last like decade where we've been embracing curves, we've been embracing alternative beauty styles, we've been stepping away from the male gaze, etc. which if you don't know about that, I, I intend on talking on it probably next week, I think, in the next podcast um, and now it has circled full time back around, probably with the beginning of the low rise jeans coming back in. And it's called, people are calling it legging legs, like legging as in 
you wear leggings like yoga leggings etc you have legs for legging but it's basically like you have thigh gap and it's become really trendy again and young people on the internet are obsessing over it. and it's just so sad seeing this as an older person and I'm just like oh my god now I'm that older person on the internet being like girls you're beautiful like <laughs> don't be upset by this but it is really devastating um the other things I've been seeing is a few weeks ago when or months I don't know when it was that Taylor Swift was doing her tours around the world and everyone and their bloody dog was talking about Taylor Swift like the obsession with her is real um I have never been a Taylor Swift fan but I've also never been against her obviously I've spoken about her positively about the positive um influence on the economy she has on the city she boosts her charitable donations blah 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 great happy as can be um however in the last couple of weeks there's just been this huge swift swift (laughs) change on the internet of people going from loving to all of a sudden disliking um taylor swift and it started since she announced her new album at the grammys and then all the celebrities were kind of like eye rolling and it just became trendy to dislike her again um however i will say that it is kind of justified because i know that um do you remember we did a podcast with neil ages ago and we were talking about like these conspiracy theories on the internet and how one of them was um taylor swift started dating someone from the jets a sports team because people kept searching her name taylor swift jets and seeing her um you know carbon emissions and pollutant history with her private jet so instead when she started dating someone from the jets which she actually did it would instead come up with her new boyfriend um and so it's going to be like floating around for a little bit about her impact on the environment and it has since come out i think it was like a 21 year old guy i don't know his name sorry has discovered through public flight records that uh taylor swift is the number one celebrity pollutant in the world and it ends up being like she's like the 77th or something like that in the whole uh in the whole wide world but the number one celebrity um of people that use jets and the carbon emissions etc and it even showed that she uses her private jet to go 13 minutes from city a to city b which is a 47 minute drive um that's how lazy she is with using the jets and people are just like this is so disgusting like the she in one flight she emits more than what the average american can emit in a year or two like it's just wild and considering how many flights she does a year it's pretty scary so yeah i think it's good to be calling people out on that actually that reminds me of another thing of course the biggest drama on the internet is (laughs) i mean was like two weeks ago the teagate drama the teacup drama um or muggate i think it's been called and if you don't if you're not on tiktok and i've tried to explain this to people that aren't on tiktok because it's pretty ridiculous but god it was swept up and every single video was people putting their opinions on this don't worry guys i'm getting to an actual podcast too by the way i'm just to have a little pop culture chat moment and hopefully remy stays asleep <laughs> so i can actually start the podcast but there is an influencer 
who did a review. Her name is Sophie. Sofa Dofal is basically her name. Her name is Soph. And she did a um, a product review of everything she bought from the Finders Keepers Market in Kirribilli back in December or something. And she went through the product, she, everything she bought, it was like an eight minute video or something. It was a long video. And then she shows this mug she bought and she said, I got this from the markets. Um, didn't realize when I bought it, it had two handles and I don't really like that because it looks like a sippy cup, but it's ceramic and I can't give it to a child or whatever because it's too fragile. It's pretty small. And I went, I had to line up, like I had to queue up for uh, the stall by the time I got to the front, I kind of just grabbed it, looked at it, went to pay for it. And then I realized as I was paying, oh my God, it's $125. That's like ridiculous. But she bought it anyway, said that in the video, moved on. And then the person who created the mug, who actually, her name is Shelby. And she actually happens to be more famous than this influencer, made this video whining about how like you've dragged my business through the mud essentially and this cup was designed to be accessible for those with disability and or and furthermore um the price is justified for this this and this and starfies etc etc and it went viral where the internet was divided on whose side is right and people were starting by defending um shelby by coming at this influencer being like that's disgusting you did this like stop slamming the business blah 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 blah. and I was the reason why I'm so interested in this and how this relates to the Taylor Swift thing as well is the general public's feeling like they have the right to hold other people accountable on the internet in particular like I just see it constantly every single day. I just feel so bad for people. Like obviously there's perks to being famous, there's perks to being an influencer um, or even people that aren't influencers and just post online. But God, like the internet really feels like I am here to hold you accountable and I will personally cancel you. So then there was this big controversy around um, her, uh, Soph, Soph, this influencer purchasing this mug until Sophie like or so sorry like within an hour or two made a response video saying hang on I never even mentioned the name of your business I'm allowed to say it's expensive which it is and this conversation that you're saying occurred between you and I literally didn't happen you didn't even serve me it was the other girl so then the internet swings back to hating Shelby (laughs) and then Shelby's getting all the flack and it's just like so crazy how fast that switch up was and how much we are can be influenced and it goes to show as well like how quickly you can change your mind or make your mind up on something on just the most minimal information as well. It's pretty scary. Um, I do think that these things like TikTok, etc., can really numb critical thinking skills, um, which is definitely the danger of it. Um, and then two more things that have come up, which I guess are more on the heavy side. So uh, trigger warning, uh, abortion and, and sexual assault um, for the next minute. There was one that came up that was just really, really sad where a 
12-year-old, a little girl, was raped in broad daylight on a train in peak hour in, um, I think it was London, it was in the UK, and there were multiple, multiple witnesses, and we know there were witnesses because, one, it was so busy, and two, they had called um, and police were at the next train, at the next station waiting for them, but despite it being in front of multiple people, literally next to multiple people with many witnesses and people calling police on it, not a single person stepped in to intervene on a little child getting raped. And it just is so sad. The the bystanders effect, it baffles me every single day because – we think about every time we hear these stories, we always say, I would step in, I would step in. I know for myself, I have stepped in <laughs> multiple times when I've come across situations like this, I have stepped in. And yeah, I've got myself in trouble this time, but it is like, it's, it's a fight flight. Like I, I definitely f- think that my instinct is fight. And before I've rationally thought about, is this safe for me? Or am I pregnant? <laughs> Do I have a child with me? I go straight in the middle of it and try to intervene. Um, but, and I know most people say, well, I would do that too, whatever, but statistically you wouldn't. And it's just, I just don't understand. Like I, I I get the point of being like, well, this person could be dangerous and I don't want to go up against them. I would literally rally three other people beside me witnessing this and being like, let's go intervene together. Come on. Like, oh, just so sad thinking about that for that little girl. Um, And the other thing that has just come around, speaking of devastating news for women and girls, because another thing that came out from this um, whole scenario was so thousands, tens of thousands of women commenting on how they have been sexually assaulted in broad daylight and no one has intervened. And the dismissiveness of the men in the comments on this situation was just really, really heartbreaking to see. And I saw a really good video um, yesterday where someone had said, Every single woman I know has been assaulted or at minimum sexually harassed, but everyone I know has been physically assaulted, sexually assaulted by a man, every woman I know, yet not a single man I know knows any other man that has sexually assaulted a woman. Why is this? Are we not, are we turning a blind eye or are we not holding people accountable? Like what's going on there? Why does no man ever know of, themselves or their friends ever being sexually harassing someone or sexually assaulting someone yet every single woman has experienced this and when you see men in the comments on this little girl getting literally raped and kind of playing devil's advocate or defending it's just so heartbreaking and so infuriating and especially with the public transport system. I know that I have been physically assaulted on trains on more than one occasion, especially when I was like, you know, 18, 19 or whatever, or younger. Um, It's just so common and so, so scary how unsafe it is um, at times. So anyway, the last thing I wanted to bring up, which reminded me of this, was there has been, so we all know about the scary um, abortion laws in America, uh, in particular areas like Texas, etc., and it's really, really scary. And obviously, there are conspiracies or theories, and I don't know if it's theories or just facts that it's less about you know God wanting more 
children or it's God's way or God's will or whatever that this baby be born and more about controlling women and giving women power, uh, giving men power and taking power away from women. Um, and these abortion laws are just have been so devastating to so many women and I've heard so many stories about women that have lost their pregnancy, like had an ectopic pregnancy or had um, really severe developmental uh, disability diagnoses during pregnancy and being forced to keep the fetus, not being able to abort a already passed away baby, um, just really, really sad things that are putting these mothers at risk and no choice. And there was one mother recently who supported her daughter in getting an abortion who desperately mind you wanted this abortion the mother supported her to get one and the mother ended up in prison for two years and if you're a physician that helps a girl or woman get an abortion you can face up to 99 years in prison and a hundred thousand dollar fine and yet recently a man from Texas, and I think his name is Mason Herring, had multiple attempts of forcing his pregnant wife to have abortions and unsuccessful attempts, and she suspected it was happening. She was 30 weeks pregnant, so she only had 9, 10 weeks left. She's in right at the end. She's basically – she's almost 8 months pregnant, and it was – He, her husband drugged her with abortion pills, causing her to go into early labor. And her child was born needing uh, feeding tubes and has major, major developmental delays and disabilities because of this. Thank God the child is alive. It was a wanted pregnancy from the mother. And he, yeah, he forced an abortion and it was evidenced. It was literally on camera him pouring the contents of the Ziploc bag into her drink and then the pill packets being found in the bin and he gets six months. Make it make sense. How does that work? Someone helps their daughter get a wanted abortion, they get two years. A man forces a woman to have an abortion, tries to kill their unborn child who's eight months pregnant multiple times and gets six months. Like, it's just horrifically backwards it is so scary when I found out I was having a girl I was so excited but also just so scared of the world to come and the world it is to grow up as a woman in this day it's not really getting better for women is it in some ways like in some ways yes in some ways not it's always just going to be anyway that's coming up next week (laughs) so stay tuned for that um so yeah so uh, that just went so heavy so far sorry now I feel all sad um but that is that is one of the beauties as well as being pregnant I have just been so happy and then I come across these things and I am on the floor sobbing (laughs) so so emotional the hormones are wild okay on to lighter topics for some or others, maybe this is going to be a trigger. But I want to discuss my number one question, which I always talk about. The question I always get asked is, why is it that I am attracted to toxic people? Or why can I only date toxic people? Why do I only like fuck boys? Why do I only like girls that treat me like shit? And when a good person comes along, I have no interest in them. Yada, yada, yada. Like, why is this? Help me unpack 
why. Well, that is what I'm going to do here today for you. So buckle in, folks. It's going to be good, hopefully. Um, Okay, so obviously people can find themselves in toxic relationships or attracted to toxic individuals for a variety of reasons, um, which are often rooted in psychological, emotional, or interpersonal factors. So we're going to kind of go through some of these. Number one, I want to start with the first option on why this could be is, and I love to draw back to your childhood, as you all know, um, is familiarity from your own childhood. So you might be drawn to toxic relationships if you've experienced a similar dynamic in your home, like tumultuous yelling, instability, up and down emotions, yada, yada, yada. So familiarity, even when it's unhealthy, can feel more comfortable than the unknown, especially to people that have been growing up in you know, abusive, toxic, unhealthy, unstable homes. And I want to, I put the word like abusive homes lightly in the terms of a lot of people in the general public will think, well, I didn't have an abusive home. Like, yeah, my mom did this or my dad did that, but it wasn't abusive. I had a good home. Sometimes the abuse is emotional abuse. Sometimes it's manipulation. Sometimes it's coercion. Sometimes it's the passive narcissistic abuse kind of thing so I think that it's good to take it in the terms of like I like that we don't just say oh I was severely abused when your mom told you you can't use a laptop after 10 p.m or whatever so I like that you know generally we don't but also I think that we do undermine the influence of these habits and this book I read what is it called I've forgotten I just read a book recently and it's by psychologist Dr. Nicole Lepera, I can't remember, but she's the holistic psychologist, her new book, if you look it up. And she's amazing. And she talks about this a lot as well, how we often, whether it be consciously or subconsciously, disregard um, things that have gone on at home. And she said that she always said, you know, I had a beautiful childhood, I have great childhood memories and really good upbringing, etc. And she's a very, very um, influential clinical psychologist and it took her years and years to figure out actually there were a lot of things that going on at home that caused her to have these problems later on at life that she until she kind of addressed that and acknowledged the influence of that that she realized hang on um, I see where this pattern originated from or where this developed from anyway so familiarity from our childhood plays such a pivotal role in shaping our relationship preferences and dynamics in adulthood, which is why we often say, oh, you're dating your father or you're dating your mother, etc." Um, so they, they significantly influence our understanding of what constitutes normal or acceptable behavior in relationships. And victims of trauma, especially childhood trauma, will consciously and subconsciously try to ignite familiar patterns or be attracted to or drawn to familiar patterns of their childhood because one it's familiar and two it's also predictable so when they can predict the outcome it makes them feel more secure so we often say like when children enter foster care that have had say like physically abusive homes or come from physically abusive homes etc they may we would see kids you know light 
houses on fire or trash the place or do severe damage in this foster carer's home, um, push every boundary, every single limit, do everything terrible they can think of because they're desperate to prove to themselves this person can't be trusted and when the right buttons are pushed, they too will also hurt me physically. So they try to push that to ignite that pattern. Um, And obviously I'm not saying that if you are abused, you push people to abuse you. That's, That's not at all what I was saying, but I'm just saying we subconsciously are attracted to people that are going to cycle through that pattern because one, familiarity and two, predictability is really, really blissful in our human (laughs) development and consciousness we just love it um and i will be pausing the podcast here because my child has awoken so i will be back well for you probably in two seconds okay and i am back it's like five days later (laughs) now i was away and i could edit that out but um, I literally can't remember where I left off and I cannot be fucked editing. I just like to take the SIM card out, SIM card, SD card. I don't even fucking know what it is, but I like to take the card out, plug it in my laptop and just upload it. Anyways, back to it. So from what I remember, we we're just talking about familiarity from childhood um, and and our attraction to why we're attracted to toxic behavior or toxic people. Um, So the next part of it, I think, is this stems from childhood as well, I think, is the unconscious repetition as well. So we may unconsciously seek out relationships that mirror the dynamics that have been observed between our caregiver. Um, So this repetition It can be either an attempt to resolve sometimes or it can be an attempt to understand unresolved issues from childhood or it may not even be an attempt to do anything. It's just we unconsciously are reenacting the the relationship that our parents had. And you hear and see this all the time where it's like, oh, you married your father, you married your mother. And we can't help but sometimes be attracted to traits that um, remind us of that or elements of that. And it's very normal. Don't get weird about it. Um, But yeah, so the other thing as well is that when toxic behavior in your childhood has been normalized in your family environment, or maybe not even in your childhood, but just, yeah, with all your family members and extended family members or your community or whatever, individuals may not recognize that as problematic in in um, their adulthood and I see this all the time when beautiful people at 40 45 50 contact me saying they've just starting to understand how toxic their relationship is and that their relationship is abusive and to other people it's like hang on it's so bloody obvious come on you know take off your rose-colored glasses or whatever but other people when it's like it's so normal it it just doesn't seem that bad. Or sometimes I have also seen in my personal circles as well, like friends that um, have experienced or clients as well that have experienced really high levels of abuse and um, neglect at home or um, seeing violent relationships between their parents, etc. And when they find a partner who is also kind of toxic and manipulated, but they're not abusive, 
anything is a step up because the bar was so low to begin with. Um, so it's hard to recognize. Well, I'm still still taking 50 steps up. However, um, you know, at least they're not ABC. So yeah, it is a, um, people can just perceive controlling behaviors or manipulation or emotional abuse as standard elements of relationship, especially when it's more subtle, like, that sometimes when I've called out things when people um, have contacted me about issues in their relationships and I might say like, you know, this is this is manipulation or this is verbal abuse and people are so shocked by that label sounding so horrific when they're like, well, he just called me a fucking bitch or something. And I'm like, yeah, that's still verbal abuse. Like it's that literally is the definition of it. Um so, yeah, a, a lot of people just don't understand that things that may not seem as dramatic as they could have possibly endured or imagined, it still can be abuse, it can still be manipulation, it can still be gaslighting, etc. Um so, yeah. Um another aspect, your guys favorite, I do get lots and lots of messages about this. I will probably have to do another podcast about it. And this is definitely one of the things I've had the most client inquiries on as well is attachment styles. Um so our attachment styles that developed in childhood it will definitely influence how we form and navigate our relationships. Um and Someone that grew up, for example, with insecure attachment patterns may be more prone to seek out relationships that replicate those patterns, even if they're toxic. So attachment style can have a really, really, I don't want to say, actually, I shouldn't emphasize saying a really important drive to who we're attracted to, but I do, I want to go into this further actually on another podcast because it's, I feel like I can't just really touch and go on this and and drop a couple of sentences and leave it. But what I will say in is that we as humans always try to bring into balance who we are. So if you find someone, if you are someone that is insecure or nervous and um, clingy or needing reassurance or quick to blame yourself, you might want to bring yourself subconsciously into balance by being attracted to someone on the very polar end of the spectrum where they are distant and cold and will blame you um, and maybe assertive or aggressive, the complete opposite of who you are. And instead of going to the very opposite end of the spectrum, what we really need to be doing is going into the middle of the spectrum um, and trying to find a securely attached partner. Now, of course, if you're already in an existing relationship and you have these attachment styles already developed, you can work through them. You can change your attachment style. And sometimes relational issues can be best worked out through relationships. So it's not like there's no be all and all. I need a secure partner or whatever. But if you were single, and you fall into one of those categories having um, like a disorganized attachment or an insecure attachment or an avoidant attachment style, I would um, severely, <laughs> severely strongly recommend um, seeking support on that. You can seek support through me or um, yeah, before you enter a relationship and doing that work and understanding it, first of all, 
And for some people, it can be kind of mild, like it is a spectrum almost. Um, for some people, it can be kind of mild and you can have mild tendencies. You can have it with certain people. You may not be in your romantic relationships. You can have anxious attachment to parents or just friends or something like that. And um, for other people, it's it can be all relationships. I have unpacked this a lot within myself and it is really interesting. I, I believe that I am securely attached in all my relationships um however there are elements of um anxious attachment with like friends for me just very very tiny elements where I panic so much if I think I've upset a friend if I think I've done something wrong, um, it is a really, really stressful situation for me. But if I feel like I've upset a partner, I have no reaction like that at all. I'm like, okay, we'll just sit down and work it through. We'll talk it out. It's all fine. So um, I have a fear. I, it's so mild, but I have fears of, oh, well, if a friend is upset with me, our friendship could end over this. Whereas in a relationship, that thought has never even crossed my mind that, oh, this has happened, a relationship could end over this, um, something like if it's something mild, of course. Um, and I saw uh, a TikTok the other day of a girl who had a really, really severe anxious attachment uh, style. And she was talking about how she had to, or she was trying one thing a day to help herself and that day's challenge was going to the grocery shop without and doing a shop without contacting her boyfriend calling her boyfriend or going with her boyfriend and to people outside of this that may be like you might be thinking oh that's crazy or that's wild I can't believe that but it's just so innate and such a strong drive that can really push behaviors and how and push our interactions with people so she may if she has to consciously fight that urge to call her boyfriend, should I pick this up and just find a reason to call him? Or should we do this for dinner just to seek that reassurance and affirmation from him? Um, So yeah, anyway, the other reason why we can be attracted to toxic relationships and toxic people is that kind of similar to what I said, but we also might want to mirror the roles that we have played in our own family of origin. So for example, if you grew up in a caretaking role, even as a child, you may be drawn to relationships where you take on a similar nurturing role, even if it becomes detrimental. So I see this a lot when um, I talk to people who, for example, may have had many, many siblings um, or situations arrive or parents that worked a lot and they were looking after their little siblings or whatever and doing way too much work, way too much parentification as a child themselves at 10 years old or 12 years old and babysitting their younger siblings or changing their nappies or cooking dinner and arranging that and fantasizing their entire childhood about being able to leave and finally get a break for this only to enter their first adult relationship with someone who needs complete and utter support financially or doesn't know how to cook doesn't know how to clean and you've just subconsciously taken on that role again so it can be something that um we mimic and and reenact in our role so it's really interesting how our childhood so strongly can impact our 
relationships later on. And, you know, as a, as a mom and being on mom's groups and things like that and Facebook groups for moms, and I see people talk all the time about, you know, uh, for example, the other day I, po- uh, I saw a post of someone talking about how she has an abusive um, husband slash father to her eight-week-old and, well, it doesn't matter because he's only two months old. He doesn't understand what's going on when there's domestic violence and it's just, oh. Uh, so hard to explain in a, in a Facebook post reply the depth of the impact to this child that it can have that they may not consciously be thinking as an eight-week-old oh mum and dad are fighting or dad's being violent but they sure as hell have surges of adrenaline and cortisol being surged through them knowing not to react when I have taken babies from really abusive homes or worked with babies from really abusive homes they are people think they'd be you know really disruptive or um they are dysregulated but really over the top and misbehaved or whatever some of these kids are so quiet so withdrawn and so well behaved because they have learned from literally one two three months old to be as quiet as possible in order to not set off a parent or to make as minimal impact as possible. And it's so sad. And I remind myself that of that a lot when I think about my my toddler. He's 18 months now. And he God, he's really going into the toddler phase. He's becoming a little devil at times with his little tantrums and meltdowns. And I always explain to Adrian, like, we are so lucky – <laughs> that you know we're putting in appropriate boundaries and we're doing appropriate communication with him when these things happen and helping him regulate himself and calming himself down but we're so lucky to have a child that feels safe enough to completely express themselves as they wish in our presence you know a lot of children don't do that and they withhold it and it it gets taken into their adult life and they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to express their needs. They don't ever feel safe enough to do so. And it's so it's so much work to unlearn these things that become habitual to us. It's their protective mechanisms. Um, so moving on. Um, we Moving on from childhood, hopefully, I don't know. I'll see what comes to my head. Um, but another reason why we can be attracted to toxic people or... Um, toxic relationships is having low self-esteem and and or unworthy beliefs and I think that low self-esteem actually has such I don't talk about it enough I really have to get more into this because it does have such a significant impact on our relationships and and our life and our career and all of these things it is absolutely immense and self-esteem issues is one of those things that with time and effort can be and guidance or whatever support you know can be relatively simple to build your self-esteem it is one of those things that you can work on yourself it's if you get someone else to help you like a therapist a coach or whatever even better because you'll get the best and most essential tools in order to do so but it can be worked on every single day for yourself it's not a big emotionally taxing thing to do. In fact, it's a positive experience. It feels unnatural. It feels uncomfortable to begin with. And that's just part of the process. But our low self-esteem is so often why we see people remain in relationships that are unhealthy or 
Um, just when you're like, why is this woman with this guy or whatever, vice versa, it can really, really stem from this. And of course, our low self-esteem, I'm bringing it back. I'm sorry. Our low self-esteem issues, most likely, not always, most likely do stem from childhood. Um, and it can be our internalized negative beliefs about ourselves, like feeling unworthy of love or respect, um, and, bullying in childhood or when you have put you know you're a people pleaser or you put high value on what people think and kids are kids are bloody brutal they say the most ruthless things um and of course sometimes you can internalize it so i i think that yeah when this happens you're more likely to accept toxic behaviors from your partners in adulthood because you're so desperately seeking their love and approval and compliments Um, Or you don't think you're worthy of having a relationship where someone is treating you with 100% respect. And of course, when you consciously say it out loud, you're like, every single person is worthy of this. But self-esteem issues can feel so innate and it can be such a hidden drive in our decisions um, and not applying this to every day. And I do want to do another podcast on this as well about rejection therapy, because I find this really, really fascinating and amazing for people that have um, self-esteem issues where it's like, go out and get yourselves a hundred rejections, whether it be for dates or for jobs or whatever it is, just go out with the aim of getting rejected. And in turn, you may find that your life and your self-esteem increases and benefits multiple times. Like for example, um, I worked with a client who went out with the aim of, she didn't believe that she was worthy of getting a job, a higher paying job. She didn't think she was qualified enough. She felt she had imposter syndrome. And I just said, apply for all these jobs and see what happens. Just make a hundred applications to these jobs you don't think you're worthy of. And just see what happens. See how many interview processes you get. And she got interviews for so many jobs, she couldn't believe it. She didn't have the asked for um, bachelor degree, none of those things. She didn't have the asked for experience level, but she got the interviews anyway. And she got a much higher, she got like a 30 pay in, 30K pay increase because she just tried and was like, why the hell not? Like, what have I got to lose? I get humbled if I get rejected by, you know, 100 job applications. Like, these people aren't going to think about you in two weeks' time. Then I'm going to be sitting at home around the dinner table saying, oh, well, guess what? This girl, Eliza, sent in a resume and she did not have as many years experience as we requested. How embarrassing. Like no one cares. No one gives a shit. Um, I see resumes or when I was working in an organization, um, I saw resumes coming through constantly and some of them were just like, what the hell? But, you know, I don't, I can't even remember anything about them. I don't think about that ever again. Um, anyway, so yeah. And also I forgot to mention as well when I was talking about, um, you know, repeating things that are familiar to us, etc. as well. Another big thing with this about this that also kind of links with low self-esteem is that stepping out into the unfamiliar can be so daunting to some people. Um, and it can be extremely intimidating. So if 
someone is in a toxic relationship, the idea of ending that relationship or being single again, or I often hear, I can't imagine dating again or going through that process again, um, being single, etc. They would rather stay in a situation that is predictable and comfortable, um, or sorry, not comfortable, predictable and familiar, rather than stepping outside of their comfort zone and getting something that they deserve and are 100% worthy of. So that one is a really, really, really big point of um, that I work with with a lot of clients and people is stepping outside of your comfort zone. And similar to the rejection therapy is just we got to force ourselves to do it. And the more you do it, the less you care about it, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, people with low self-esteem as well will be likely be more susceptible to accepting mistreatment or abusive abusive behavior believing they deserve it or thinking that they can't find better and when I say believing they deserve it sometimes it's putting such a high respect on on, and regard for the person or the abusive person or the toxic person and what they say so and it can be twisted in ways that are so subtle like I only cheated on you because you weren't there enough for me. And then that person with low self-esteem says, oh, you're right. I haven't been there enough for you. I've been so busy cooking and cleaning, looking after the kids and working 50 hour weeks. Like, I'm so sorry. It's my fault. Uh, Those kind of things. So it's not like you get punched in the face and it's like, well, you deserve it. And they immediately just believe it. It can be a lot more subtle than that. Okay. Um, Another one. This is an interesting one, actually, and I haven't talked about this too much in terms of relationships, and I think I should. I'm getting a lot of ideas. I've got to listen back to this now and write down everything I said I should do a podcast on, but having a lack of boundaries. And I haven't talked about this because I think that a lot of people get called out um, by this when you talk about a lack of boundaries. And I myself in the past have definitely experienced having lack of boundaries in the sense that I will take on as much work as was asked of me. Um, I will, if I found someone, if I met someone and two days later, they're telling me like, oh, I don't have an apartment to live in, live with me. Oh, I don't have food. I will buy your groceries. I, you know how many times I have bought food for people online that I've never met or like <laughs> sent cash to them for food. Who even knows it was spent on food? I, I can't even count how many times. And of course, you know, it's sometimes it's generous, but it's, it is also a lack of boundaries. Um, and I, I don't do that this, this, uh, that often <laughs> anymore, unless it's on like a GoFundMe, in which case I will, because hopefully that is actually going to that person for that purpose. Um, but yes, yeah, so a lot of people or some people struggle to set and maintain healthy boundaries. So setting it and maintaining them is very, very different. And uh, this is one of the the programs I do through my coaching as well is all about boundaries and setting them. And it's one of those things that once you have that set, you can set boundaries for the rest of your life. You can set boundaries with your family, in your career, in your relationship, even existing relationships, of course. And having boundaries is so freeing. It sounds restrictive to have boundaries, but it is so freeing to be able to say, hey, actually, I have requested this. I explained this. 
Um, actually, I have a good example of this. I'm going to talk about a personal example of uh, my family. Sorry, mom. Um, but I told my parents only a week ago that I was pregnant again. And I also told them, um, if you remember, I had a really, really horrific hospital and birth experience with um, with Remy. And I have a lot of trauma about that. I do... I think about it a lot. I feel so uneasy when I think about it. I feel really, really terrified of the people at that hospital. I don't actually terrified is not the word. I just don't like it. Um, that was a bit of an exaggeration. I'm not terrified, but it's not impacting my day to day. But obviously, I do feel like there is definitely residual trauma um, from that experience I had. And one of the things that I feel really confident about in this pregnancy is I've gone private. I picked the literal best OB on the Central Coast. Every single time I've gone for an ultrasound or spoken to any GP, every single person knows who this OB is. Everyone's like, wow, I can't believe you got in with her. Like it's, yeah, she's expensive, but I'm so glad I have this OB. I feel really just comforting. And anyway, long story short. So the OB is attached to a private hospital and I went and met with her, told her all the things that happened with my um, pregnancy and birth, which was basically the long story short, failed induction, failed labor, failed C-section, <laughs> failed anesthetic, um, got feeling in my C-section, horrific aftermath and recovery of C-section, etc. Blah, 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 blah. And she said to me, what, what's your ideal birth? Like, what do you, what would you like a uh, a natural birth? Are you after a C-section? What's what would you like? And I said I would love to try for a V-back, which is a like um, a vaginal birth after C-section. Um, but I'm open to whatever. Like I'm not like my heart's not set on anything. Just whatever, <laughs> whatever is recommended. And she got all her files up, and she said, "Look, because your labor didn't progress after this many days, because you had this many failed inductions, and because you had a C-section, and because." of some other um, historical medical issues. I think that regardless of what you choose, you have a much higher likely chance of needing a C-section regardless. However, you can go for a natural birth, except if you do so, you can't just come into a private hospital at um, you know 10 p.m. if you're in labour and then if things go wrong and you need a C-section, there's no there's not a team on standby of surgeons um, and obstetricians ready to operate. So they would have to transfer me back to the public hospital and who knows what could happen in that 10 minutes of that transfer, et cetera. Um, so she said, you know, if you go in private and you're having a C-section, it's all booked in, you've got your team ready for you. But if you go for natural and things go wrong, we would strongly be pushing for you to just go to the public hospital, which I really don't want to go to. Anyway, I don't feel like I have to justify it. If you're a midwife, please don't message me. I can't be talked out of this. Please no one comment on this. It's so stressful. And I told my mum all these things and I said, I shouldn't even have to have explained it all, but these are the reasons I'm having a C-section. It's not ideal. My last C-section was fucking terrible, but I'm having another one. Please don't comment on it. Please don't talk me out of it. I don't feel like I have any options. My other hospital experience was horrific and they won't let me have a natural birth at the private hospital. Um, and there's only one private hospital and one public hospital on the public on the central coast where I live. And so I told my mom these things and four days later, she comes over with a fucking book bookmarked about, you need to read this, Eliza, you need to read it. 
about um, C-sections being terrible for the mother, being terrible for the baby. You should never do it. You should do anything to have a vaginal birth, even if so-and-so, all the risks are worth it, etc. which, you know, I agree with, but it's not my plan. Like, and I got upset and I said, I literally set a boundary with you four days ago. Like four days ago, I asked you these and you agreed to it. And she kind of got upset about it saying, <laughs> check your tone, basically. And I was like, this is a really soft topic for me. And I'm not going to allow conversations about this to occur anymore. Just do not talk to me about it. I won't engage in it. I will straight up get up and walk out every single time you try to convince me otherwise, because it's so stressful. And I'm one of those people, unfortunately, I don't know if it's people pleasing nature. Well, it is, but I struggle when people don't agree with my plans. (laughs) And I, it's not that I'll be talked out of what I'm doing. It's just that I like when people obviously agree and say, yep, this makes the most sense for you. Absolutely go for it, especially when it's your parents. So yeah, that is a that is my most recent boundary that I have been put in. And I have also put in with my friends because I found in my last pregnancy, um, as you may or may not remember, I was so anxious and I, I don't know what it was where I kept getting told stories every single day Uh, I won't repeat it but just really really sad and devastating stories I don't know what it is about pregnant women being subjected to this and already since announcing my pregnancy like two weeks ago um to friends I have had so many people just tell me stories that have just been so sad uh and heartbreaking and really like literally my fears um and I have said to my friends, like, please do not share these stories with me, first of all, and please stop sending me videos about childbirth. Like, don't I don't want to see anything because sometimes we send each other TikTok videos and stuff like this. I said, I just can't. And they've all respected that. No one is talking about that. So actually, I have found this pregnancy so peaceful so far because I'm sticking to these boundaries and I'm giving no fucks if I offend people by saying I ask you not to send that and I will just get up and leave this conversation like yeah you might think it's so dramatic all I'm doing is talking about a baby that xyz nah I'm not dealing with it like when you're pregnant you're already so hormonal and so emotional you know what's funny is this is a side note sorry I'm I'll wrap this up really really soon is I started this podcast however many days ago and was talking like I think I was talking shit about Taylor Swift, about pop culture moment that people don't like Taylor. And three of my uni friends are seeing Taylor Swift this weekend or saw her or whatever, I don't know. And they all just were having the greatest conversation. They were so excited. They were talking about like their outfits. One of them had already seen her and was like, it was the best day of my whole life. Like it was so great. It was so amazing. And I'm reading these messages, literally crying, just being like, I love women doing women things and enjoying girly things like Taylor Swift like go for it I'm so glad you're so happy and I was so emotional about it um so that's just a little snip of (laughs) of pregnancy hormones I cried because my friends saw Taylor Swift and I was happy for them um (laughs) anyways so another reason that we can be attracted to toxic people um and this is definitely something I have fallen into in the, the you know, 10 years ago when I started dating. Uh, this was my probable pattern was the desire to fix or rescue people. And um, 
feeling needed like is what makes you feel fulfilled so people that have that strong desire to fix or rescue others might be attracted to individuals with issues thinking that they can help and change them and that can sometimes lead to codependent relationships and so there's a lot beneath this it can be like sometimes you can have traits of um you you know grand your self-esteem or maybe even narcissism thinking that these people need me or perhaps you actually have a subtle or not so subtle um anxious attachment and you want people to be codependent with you because it makes you feel more secure when they're clingy and they need you all the time or sometimes it just makes you feel really good to know that you're supporting people and helping people and you feel that you know the best way about it etc so even though like when you go into these relationships if you are that person or if you were me 10 years ago you go into these relationships thinking you're doing it's altruistic basically and like yeah you know the load of this relationship is set one way in which I am supporting this person a lot more than they I need support or whatever but the true reasons for it are not actually altruistic we do have reasons that are selfish essentially as to why we desire people that need fixing or saving and sometimes it's it's I actually think for me that at that time in my life it was to further enhance my self-esteem uh, by getting like it was the way I could get that verbal validation I don't know what I would do without you I don't know like I'm so grateful for you you're so amazing you do so much for me and this is when I'm talking like when I was 18 19 20 here um and I kind of had to learn and teach myself that okay this is the root of that and if I want verbal affirmation and learning that phrase and understanding what that is was a really big part of this like process for me if I want those things then just ask for them (laughs) don't find these subconscious ways to get them met just ask for them or find people that are like that um naturally like when you go on dates do they say like I know that I I'm a very, very complimentative person. And the way I love people is sometimes the way I want to be loved back. Um, and I don't do that. I don't go and compliment people because I want to be complimented back. Like I, if you ever meet me or if you have met me, you know, like I just, I shower. So if I like something about someone, I will tell you exactly what it is I like about them. I love to compliment people on their personalities and, and traits. I think, I think that not enough people put you know call out on that out on other people I think it's just nice um and it's not about being nice I just do it it's just it's always come naturally to me I've never felt weird or awkward about it um so and also like it does have a positive lasting impact I had I was at the shops the other day and I was wearing a yellow dress and I had like the 17 year old girl that worked at Harris Farm go bright red in the face and say to me like I'm so sorry to say this but you just look so beautiful and you're absolutely glowing and this color is your color and I was just so like wow that is so nice that made my day thank you so anyway go and compliment people but yeah basically in a nutshell god that was going off on so many tangents I am sorry um our desire to fix and rescue people is not as altruistic as we think and if you are that person you can reach out to me and we can unpack that further. Um, hire me if you like. But question and really dig deep to unpack that within yourself because 
took me a really long time to learn that this is actually not a healthy relationship pattern and it's not necessarily like yes that person may be benefiting it but am I subconsciously enabling them by doing that work for them or finding the services they need to be in for them like am I not encouraging them to develop the independent skills to fix themselves essentially I'm not their mother (laughs) okay um another thing that I think a lot of us would fall into this category. If you've been listening to this and you're someone that's attracted to toxic people and you're like, none of this makes any sense to me. My childhood was perfect. I have no attachment issues, blah, 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 no self-esteem issues. This will probably be the one that hits home for you that some people are just simply attracted to intensity. So the intensity of toxic relationships, even when it's negative, can be alluring. And a lot of people interpret passion and drama as a sign of deep connection and this can come from you can come from you know yes it may or may not come from your childhood or maybe it comes from all the movies we've watched especially as girls growing up where it's like that push pull every bloody book I've read lately as you know or you may not know but I am an avid reader and I go through a lot of genres I went through a horror genre I went through my sci-fi genre I went through my detective genre my murder genre my everything and this year slash end of last year I've actually been going through my fantasy genre which I have surprised myself has actually been one of my favorite genres to read but any elements of romance and I've talked about this with Neil in the past it has the exact same plot where they're attracted to someone who is distant and stoic and problematic in the sense that they're probably a murderer or some someone that is but deep down he's really good but comes across this way to everyone else and he's got so many skills and could take down anyone and the whole book they keep you hooked on this push pull oh we never get together at the start like they build it build it build it and then all these things come up during during the plot where oh we can't be together because of this or this has happened or I've just found out this like Romeo and Juliet oh the enemy clan or clan (laughs) enemy family etc you know like it's just one of those things that are fairy tales and books and tv shows can influence us as to what is normal in relationships um and people say like I just don't feel so intensely about them and it's like well should you like should you feel so intense and on the edge of your seat at all times like is what made you what was it that led you to believe that that is the normal feeling that you should have rather than peace calm contentment deep love security trust etc um which I guess leads me leads me to my next point of just like the social conditioning um cultural factors as well, societal factors, social media, um, messages from like family or peers, etc. can cause us to um, tolerate um, and accept toxic behaviours. And I've experienced this myself um, with, I used to work with um, some Muslim Arabic girls and (laughs) they were always shocked. I've talked about this before. Sorry if you've heard this story, but they were always shocked by when I went out for dates, if I told them that I had paid for, um, if I had paid for dinner or (laughs) paid for half of dinner, they would think it is abhorrent 
abhorrent. And if he wasn't fighting for me or if he wasn't jealous, he didn't care. Um, if he wasn't wanting to check my phone, he didn't care. Uh, if he wasn't bringing me a handbag or a gift to the first date, he's not right. So it's funny how like, you know, if you hear these messages your whole life, of course it can influence what you're attracted to, especially when it's like you see some women in particular that want really strong and masculine men. And these girls I worked with as well, God forbid, if their partner had ever had cried or I think I talked about once something could happen to a boyfriend at the time that I had, something tragic. And um, I was saying like he was really upset. Obviously he was crying a lot and they were like, just gobsmacked that he'd cried in front of me and just thought it was not okay and I just (laughs) anyway so yeah sometimes we may be tolerating toxic behaviors and one more story of this is that one day the girl came to work one of the girls came to work laughing because her husband had smashed her windscreen over something I can't remember it was over something so petty and she was laughing about it and said good to know he feels so like you know justified and and, and passionate about this issue and I was like he smashed your windscreen that's abuse like that's just great she just laughed in my face it was so interesting to see the difference of that um okay um so also that kind of actually reminds me of my next point which is the lack of relationship education and I have to remind myself this time and time again when I talk to new people or have people reach out to me that some people don't know the bare minimums or starting points of how to actually be in a relationship. Sometimes relationships are not a natural process. It doesn't come natural to everyone. It's not so instinctive to everyone. And doing things like setting your own boundaries or communicating your needs, for example, is seems completely wild um, or uncomfortable to some people I saw a girl post on Reddit today I think she said she was 19 and she had been in her sleep sexually assaulted in the terms that she said that she had woken up with semen all over her face and clothes basically and she was saying should I say something or I just want to keep the peace I'll probably just leave it it's not a big deal and people were in the comments saying like you know this is a a form of sexual assault if she was saying it made her extremely uncomfortable she wouldn't have consented to this she he knew he had she had an issue with that specific act and he did it while she was asleep um and she, she was like oh but should I say something or not and you'd think it would be so obvious and such a like yeah, of course say something but for some people that is a really scary task where they don't want to upset people they don't think they dismiss and minimize their own needs, etc. as well. So, um, yeah, we can just have a lack of knowledge and some people just can't even recognize or know how to avoid toxic relationships and behaviors. Um, our fear of loneliness or being abandoned can drive us to stay in toxic relationships or the perceived pain of being in solitude or isolated can seem worse than enduring a toxic dynamic. Um, the, the people that uh, depend on external validation, and this again stems in with your self-esteem, um, where you rely heavily on external validation for your self-worth rather than finding it 
independently and finding it within yourself um like I had to do was like really really improve my self-esteem and when I improved my self-esteem around the age of 20 my god did life become so fucking good like everything became better for me at that time in my life um when I worked on my self-esteem and I wasn't relying on other people to make me feel better or whatever I did it myself um and of course other people would say things but I wasn't it wasn't a reliance. It was an added benefit. If I got a compliment, it was an added benefit, not something that I live for because I wouldn't have thought that about myself or questioned it about myself constantly. Um, so people that do rely on this can be more prone to staying in toxic relationships. Um, the toxic person might intermittently provide validation. And when someone provides it only intermittently, it becomes more addictive. It becomes like you search more and more for that validation, you do more and more things, you go above and beyond because it's so rare, etc. Um so yeah. The other one, the last point I think I'll make, I've got to wrap this up now, I think, um, is and I like to talk about this a lot in that we go, we cycle through patterns and relationships. So when we say, uh, so many times I hear from people saying, I go from one toxic relationship to another, to another, to another, and I cannot break the pattern. It is absolutely a pattern for all those reasons we listed before. It could be familiarity, could be unconscious processing. It could be our low self-esteem. It could be our comfort zone. It could be, blah, 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 blah. it could be a million reasons. Um, but when you haven't consciously reflected or learned from that past experience, chances are you are going to recreate that pattern over and over and over again. And even though I don't have an experience, thankfully, most of my relationship, in fact, all of my actual like longer term relationships have been very loving, very positive or whatever, I did repeat a pattern of finding basically the same type of guy over and over and over again um, because I thought that was what I was like. But then I was like, hang on, none of these relationships are working for me or I've ended all of these relationships at the same point after two to four years. Maybe I need to be trying something else. Maybe I need to reflect on what it is I actually need and what I really want in a relationship and try to seek that out rather than being attracted to something that I, I think I know best and I think I like best where it may not actually be the best for me. Um, so often this requires a lot of self-awareness. It can require therapy. It can be, you know, it definitely requires a minimum of commitment to your personal growth and understanding your own motivations, addressing underlying issues. And we need to do these in order to empower ourselves to make healthy relationships um, in the future. So seek support from your friends or family or mental health professionals or relationship coaches, psychologists, etc. And that can be a crucial first step in breaking the cycle of toxic relationships. So if you are in a cycle of this, please seek help. If you've ended a relationship saying, I am not going to do this again, and you've tried to do this work and you ended up in another one, you need to seek help for it. Or you will subconsciously repeat this pattern ongoing for the rest of your life. And I'll let me tell you this, it happens. And I have worked with women in their 60s, 50s that have still not been able to have functional relationships because they haven't sought the correct guidance, advice and professional help to break these uh, toxic cycles.
So please do that. Anyways, it's good to be back. I have actually missed you all. Um, send me a message as well if there's anything in particular you're wanting me to unpack. And also if you have messaged me in the last couple of weeks and I haven't replied, I am sorry. I have just been off it. I just thought while I'm not podcasting, I'm not going on social media, um, etc. Well, on on that Instagram. So that is the best place to contact me. I changed my Instagram handle as well. What is it? Eliza Joy Therapeutic Coaching. So you can find me there instead. Um, and have a great rest of your week. Let me know what your thoughts are. If this hit home for you, etc. I'd love to hear that. All right. Toodles. <laughs>